Three, two, one, and uh, we're live. Hey, everyone, welcome back to Let's Take This Online with me, Digital Hoos. Um, awesome guest today, close personal friend of mine, someone I worked with, and so funny, we actually, probably for the first 90% of the time we spent together, we weren't friends. Like, yeah. we, were, we, we, we knew each other, but like we weren't close. And then at the last 10%, and also when he moved and I moved, we got really close, I think, exactly. which is interesting sometimes in life. Um, before we start, I want to give a huge shout out to Al-Ghami. Uh They finally got my the app sorted, and we got the uh, podcast on Al-Ghami, so I'll be sharing the links. Really happy with that. Um, it's really good to be on that kind of platform. Um, hopefully big changes are coming soon. Uh, new logo, um, new design, getting into it. Anyway, let's get right into the episode. Today we have Tony Sarkis. Tony, thanks for being here. Pleasure. Um, who's, who worked in agencies, did uh, offline, online, and now he's over at the publisher side, um, focusing on the automotive sector. So I thought it'd be awesome to have him here. We can talk about the evolution of the of the landscape because he, he's been in the industry a bit longer than I was. So he probably saw a lot more changes than I did. And now with publisher side, he could probably give us some pretty in- interesting insights. Yeah. So Tony, I really appreciate you being here. Um, let's get into it, man. Can I ask you, I'm always asking my guests this question because it's really interesting. What did you study in university? Yeah, I noticed that you ask everyone because that Because it's, <laughs> it's so interesting <laughs> yeah. to see what people study to actually do. No, I actually have a degree in marketing. Okay, so, so yeah, okay. But uh, maybe I didn't expect myself to go into the media, media. world. Maybe I expected myself to go into the client side marketing, distribution, four seven Ps, whatever you call them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I got into media like by coincidence, you know. Okay. So I lived my in Dubai all my life. Okay. I, I, I just went and studied the university in Lebanon okay. and came back. So A-U-B? when I came back, no, Balamand actually Balaman, in the north. Or, yeah. University. Yeah, it's yeah. very nice. So uh, when I came back, you know, we start asking around looking for a job mm. and i got a lead someone was like you want to work uh, with x brand yeah. so i actually thought i'm going to apply to the client side <laughs> so <laughs> it turned out to be that i'm applying to the agency that handles this this big client so and uh, i went in and i actually started learning because within my courses in university they didn't really shed light on media per yeah, se no one does they shed light on marketing in general distribution product you know yeah, all look, of that they do the product brand side of it not the media side exactly which is, yeah, i had like one course which was like a elective or something so i went into it i started learning what it is about and uh, it got interesting i grew very fast in the agency did you start off pure offline i started off pure offline tv okay. radio newspaper i did that for like three four years Oh, he's like planning, senior planning, planning all the way. Okay, yeah, okay. exactly. And then uh, when the you know agency started to transform into hybrid pra- planners, hybrid managers, so uh, from there, uh, like digital started becoming a part of my role. Yeah. What year uh, was this? Sorry, what year was this? Uh, around 15, 16, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. 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 The, the the year print really started dying and digital exactly, started rising. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, this is where the work started to change. Uh, we got the trainings needed we got integrated within digital now within all the teams we always had a digital expert and we had us the hybrid planners yeah. so and the thing is how i saw this this revolution if you want to call it in the agency side is the hybrid planners were more on a execution planning mm-hmm. but the digital managers were were the one who knew the technicalities yeah, so more information and this was i think the gap and this is where agencies have more work on to make these hybrid planners more technical and more uh, you know getting into the nitty-gritty details and yeah and start things started to evolve and uh, then you start 
you're then you're able sorry to look at the bigger picture when you come and plan on a marketing campaign when you look at digital with tv with radio and how they work together and how clients start asking you for 360 solutions Mm. and look for you to deliver such plans when you when you started off um in offline uh, media you basically do we i always wondered because you you start off in a different agency than me Right, yeah. we start off. So I start off in, in in part of the publicist group. You start off, I think, in part of the IPG, IPG group, right? Yeah. So, um, and I always wonder because the way we were doing a publicist was a, was pretty interesting, especially with uh, offline planning, especially with TV planning. Yeah. Were you doing the actual? So you you'd plan it on a, like a on a Excel. Yeah. And then you'd input that into a system where you had a data input person. Because what, what system do you guys work in on? Do you remember uh, what it Dolphin, was? Dolphin, I think. Dolphin. Called, okay, yeah. we're working on something called Meconomy. Yeah. So basically, we used to do the plan on an Excel sheet. Yeah. It was like it's a dreaded Excel sheet. Oh, they, they, I, I used to hate it. used to be like them. those uh, like, give me 300, like 300 rows Excel sheets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we used to do the plan on Excel sheets, and uh, we give it to the ops person. And oh, you guys had an ops person? Yeah. Okay, that was so lucky. I, I used to do it myself. The oh, actual, wow. And they used to take, I, I, I say in one of the podcasts, I remember once working. Like eight hours or something. Eight to one, ten yeah, hours to like 11 p- p.m. once inputting into this system and I do, I heard Dolphin was a lot easier but McConomy at the time was super slow Yeah. and every time you input a line item it gets slower and slower yeah. and slower to the point it became it became like just one line it would take five minutes just for the just for the computer to load I know I know I, I think it was easier for me <laughs> since we had an ops team that, yeah. yeah but you know the, the, the whole process is very hectic you do the it TV plan hectic. you send it it's approved you book it then you have to modify the plans because no spots are available then you mm. redo the plan you send it so the, the system was very hectic yeah. and uh, using Excel with all these lines and it's if the ops has a mis- does a mistake mm. you need to align this with the client it's, it's you know it, but it was it was king TV was yeah, king yeah. and was it like it was eighty percent of the spend exactly yeah. of all investments are going to TV because it's mass and yeah. within a certain group that we got, we know here because it's a monopoly yeah that makes sense though that you know that group has the major channels exactly. makes sense you know just like there's also in the states for example you have a future like I know there's a lot more diversity we still have some of the big conglomerates right of course of course things like have TNT that. Network wherever the, wherever they have. What's really interesting is actually because I, you, you stayed more more years in offline than I did. So I basically stayed in offline maybe like six months. Oh no, I stayed for a good. Yeah, so years you, you stayed a lot longer. Um, when you transitioned to digital, how did you go about learning? Because because when I transitioned, because it was so quickly, it's so quick for me. I never I never was stuck in it, and the transition was quick and easy. But for you, you were a bit longer. So obviously, you had more of the lingo of offline planning. Exactly, you had the yeah. understanding, um, you know, the flighting schedules, all that. Yeah. You became an expert in that. How did you go about learning something completely new? It's it's basically you have to build the interest at the beginning. Yeah. So you need to start getting interested in that. And then what I tried to do is I, I tried to mirror whatever I'm getting introduced to on digital mm. to the terms I know on TV. So okay. for example, you're... Cost per click, I yeah. try to mirror it, mirror it to, it's a bit relevant to your cost per rating point. So Interesting. it has okay. the same concept, okay. you know. Okay. And uh, the the companies that started digital advertising and started creating these formats are apps that you were already using. And mm. you were, like, for example, I was already being exposed to Facebook ads, yeah, you sure. know, uh, Twitter ads, uh, ads on YouTube. So you're already within this environment that, yeah. okay, I know what I'm getting myself yeah, into, yeah. right? So... Uh, with some training some reading okay. and you get you start getting into it and because the learning curve was not only only for me it's also it was also for the client as well yes 100% so it was a mutual growth basically yeah. and once you get into it it becomes more exciting and 
when you start seeing stuff materialize, this yeah. is where it, it gets very yeah. interesting. I really like how you actually did the marrying thing, which is quite interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I've never heard anyone say it like that. So that's, that's an interesting way of, of, of actually learning very quickly. Yeah, because like, for example, when you talk about reach on TV, it's basically your unique reach or unique cookies that you, you target or reach on digital. Yeah. You know? When you talk about impressions, these are the GRPs in the TV world. So yeah. you start, ah, okay, so it's basically the same concept, this different lingo, uh, different abbreviations. So uh, yeah, yeah. And you just go with it. And one of my clients, you, honestly, they used to want or request a report where we neutralize even digital... Uh, let's say, elements in TV way. So they mm. wanted to see the TV in impressions and the impressions yeah, in yeah, GRPs, yeah, you know? Yeah. So here it also helped with the mirroring process. That's very, that. very interesting. I like the way you did the learning there. Yeah. Did you, Thanks. did you, when you went to digital, did you find that we used too many acronyms? Oh, and yeah. abbreviations? <laughs> CPC, CTR, CT what? I was like, why? It's, 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 a, <laughs> you know? it's a bit hectic. I think, yeah. I think uh, people in digital, we love to do that. Everything's an acronym. Yeah, you know. Everything's and, an acronym. But, uh, you know, you just, you get the hang of yeah, it. And, uh, like, I, I remember I had, like, a small paper with, like, CTR. Yeah. CPR, you know, like everyone, <laughs> like you know. I was a junior as well. So, but, like, you get used to it. And, uh, yeah, you just go with it. And the more you talk about it with mm. your peers, with your clients, the more you read about it, you're exposed to the different vendors that I used to work with yeah. on digital. This is how you start building your yeah. experience. Area 100%. General. One of the way I found also learning uh, quicker, and it's something I, I brought up in a previous podcast was i sat with all the suppliers yeah i literally would schedule like 10 a week every digital supplier there i'd call them and, and they know that i'm new and stuff and they're, yeah. they were cool with it and that's that's something that's cool about our supplier world is that suppliers are willing to always sit down with the new plan or new digital person even though they know it's just more of an education for them yeah. but a lot of them are willing to do that which is interesting and for me that taught me a lot you know, that's the thing, and this actually that's very important because as a supplier, because as a supplier, yes, you are a media, let's say, expert. However, yeah. you're a salesperson as For well. For sure. And it's very important as a salesperson is to build this long-lasting relationship yes, with this 100%. agency. So. The agency guy shouldn't feel that this supplier is here only when he's asking for mm. money or asking for, uh, for a certain amount of budget to be spent on this platform. And at the same time, the agency should, should also know the value of the supplier and yeah. know that the supplier is your partner. He's not someone that you go and request a couple of impressions from. And yeah. this is actually maybe an issue when it comes, uh, from my personal yeah. opinion, when it comes to the agency side, people, yeah. you know. I was there. I personally really valued the suppliers and the way I work with them was extremely... I felt it was a bit different because I really treated vendors as partners because at the end of the day they're your gateway to your audience mm. in most cases so uh, it's very important to make value of whatever they 100%. talk about whatever knowledge they spoke upon you and and just develop whatever brand you're yeah. working on with them not asking them to do something you want you need inform because they hold the knowledge whether they're websites they're publishers you know so yeah so it's a two-way streak yeah, 100, 100%. I completely agree. What's really interesting, I saw, because I got into digital before programmatic was a big thing. So yeah. I got into digital, it was mostly AdWords and then direct buys. Yeah. And I realized when you do direct buying, you're a lot more closer to the supplier because you actually have to physically interact with them, right? And then I felt then when programmatic came, things start shifting you now it's a, yeah you lose a bit of the personal touch because obviously i could do everything now through uh through my through my uh what's called my dsp yep. i could i could do all my i could do open exchange if i don't want to do direct buys even direct buys you know programmatic direct is basically like a direct buy but it's in the it's but instead of you talking to him you set up deal previous exactly. so 
Have you felt now that you went, you went to supplier post the programmatic explore? Have you yeah. felt that there's a less when you compare it to how you used to interact with suppliers when you first got into it, and now how uh, agencies interact? Have you have you feel the 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 face to face the the personal touch is a bit is on a lower degree because of like programmatic taking such a big chunk now? Uh, actually, yes. Before I left the agency, mm. I started to feel that on an agency side oh, as okay, well. Okay. Yeah. So so last year and a half maybe yeah. I started feeling that you know like you just need to go ahead with your media campaign speak to your yeah. programmatic team they do it programmatically so i started to feel this uh, misconnection a bit mm. with the supplier side i have a lot of friends by by that time with the supplier side so i kept in touch i always wanted to know what new products are coming yeah. out what are the publishers doing and all that but yeah i did really feel a shift and how clients are acting upon their budgets digitally and specific and you know the last time I heard you uh, mm. talking about the cliche right person at the right yeah. time at the right moment. So <laughs> this was, so clients really took this to heart, you know, and so value in this, and that's why like I even face that currently in my current role okay. uh, on the publisher side. That yeah, yeah, don't worry, we'll get like the budget, but we're gonna transact that programmatically. Mm. And I think by doing that, you're missing out on the contextual element of the publisher side. You're missing out mm. on the content capabilities of publisher sides and how they talk to their audiences yes. so it's not always on right people right time yes it is extremely and crucially important because at the end of the day clients are looking for efficiency but you also as a client should make sure that you use the value of the insights this publisher mm. has you know to, in order to talk to the right people in the right way so Yes, there has been a shift. Uh, there is there's a bit of a balance, yeah. but leaning more on the programmatic side and how they w- wish to to transact their money. One hundred percent. So when you uh, so I guess when you got into digital, I think also two thousand four, two thousand fifteen. Also, the rise of programmatic was then. Yes. Um, programmatic is a difficult place. It's a difficult thing to understand. It's much. I remember because I started off AdWords. It was really easy. Yeah. Right. AdWords is simple. Right. It's display, search, mobile, yeah. video, and you do it yourself. And then you get into programmatic, and programmatic added a layer of complication. One thing I want to talk to you about is something that I didn't realize until I really started looking into it. Because when you were agency side and you were and you were working on programmatic, you never got access to programmatic. No. That no, no Same no. thing as myself. And it's something that I always found. I always found as a as a as a flaw i think and clients as well by the way yeah i had a client who said i'm a bit skeptical i need to dig i want to yeah. i want to meet your programmatic hat i want to go yeah. see the dashboards you know yeah 100 percent. i think i think i'm hoping now I, i've been hearing agencies have been slowly like you know getting rid of their trading desk making mm-hmm. it part of the teams mm-hmm. and stuff so i'm hoping because it's 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 still till today and it's such a it's such a big flaw in my knowledge is yeah. i've never worked on um db360 i've never worked on dcm yeah now your supplier side you kind of have now you have the what's it called you have the dfp side which i think now you have a lot more visibility on right yeah which is to, i'm sure you still have an ad ops team but i think now you still have a you still have visibility more on the tool itself right i i do but it's i don't personally work a lot on this tool because yeah. we have a like you said a yeah. dedicated programmatic team but yeah, when you when you move to the publisher side, maybe you have a better chance in getting access to this yeah. dashboard and getting access to the data and information that yeah. you actually put, and how they link this to your DMP and the audience targeting yeah, yeah. and all that. So y- you are the one who is doing that with the respective yeah. people in the company, you know. Yeah. So that's that's the problem I found, and it always always you know really gets under my skin is the fact that I don't I never that's still till today a gap of my knowledge and it's driving me crazy. In fact, I've never worked on DFP. I never worked on DFA. I've never seen. I've only ever seen. 
view only of DCM. That's yeah. the closest I've ever seen. And uh, that's it. And it just drives me absolutely crazy. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny how the marketing industry has created so many niche yes. positions and jobs. 100%. Like in marketing, you have mar- media as a small branch. In media, yeah. you have the digital and the creative. You know, yeah. you go into the media, you go programmatic. You have the trading desk and the mm. planner. Then the optim- the guy that does the optimization and the data 100%. learning. And it, it created so many niche jobs that limit your knowledge sometimes. 100%. So we if love you're to, not curious yeah. enough uh, yeah exactly it, it, you just, it, we love to silo here which is very interesting and, but we it's love also silo. a bit dangerous so. it is 100 because then because you get to a point is that there's no knowledge sharing exactly. which is a huge problem and it's fine it may be fine it's cool if you want someone to do one thing but have the other people know what it is exactly so because for example even till today when i speak about specifically the the platforms themselves everything i speak about is pure theory and things i've seen from like walkthroughs and example yeah, yeah. never been actual practical not work on it which really annoys me yeah you need to be curious i remember like when when we started merging digital and offline back then yeah. uh used to see me like with the ops team with yeah. the programmatic team the like yeah because like I want to know, like you 100%. can't just tell me you need to do that. No, I want to know what I'm getting to into. 100%. I want to know what I'm pre- presenting to the client, you know, and this is very important and you need to have it in yeah. just to get this knowledge for you. But don't you feel that the majority of planners don't do that? Yeah. It's only Definitely. a very handful of people. Definitely. And I see that and I'm seeing that now more than ever because yeah. I came into the publisher side. Okay. I talked to different planners uh, okay. with respect to all, but yeah, you see that some people have a gap when it comes to knowledge in digital in, in general yes. and how they discuss digital leads for example maybe that's something we'll talk about later but uh yeah there, there is there is some some gap yeah 100%. some knowledge that we we like like no, we I, need to start building I as an industry more and, and more. if there's any any uh digital planners out there and you guys have never worked with your ad ops team and you don't know what they're doing you better yeah. go, go sit with them if find where they sit Grab your laptop and once we go sit next to him and ask questions, because be annoying. It's okay. It's fine. But you know why? Because once you get this knowledge, you'll be, first of all, you'll yeah. be knowledgeable for yourself and it's your yeah. self that you're growing. Second of all is you feel more, com- more confident when you go to the client and talk the discussion very of programmatic true. or very, you talk the true. discussion of TV or uh, digital or whatever it 100%. is that you're getting your nose into. 100%. You know? So I, I remember even when, when, I used to be, when I used to be an offline planner, I wanted to like... You know how we used to work, go on Ipsos and yeah, Slatinga, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So you you needed to do an Excel sheet in a way that you can, you know, create a report for the client. Yes. I remember I, for a couple of weeks, I used to stay optimizing my time on how I can finish this report on the fastest way possible. Of course. Learn, 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 ask, ask about the tips and tricks. Yeah, you know, this is, is just a small example. Maybe it's not too relevant, but yeah. it's just the, how nosy you need to be. 100%. Just to make yourself a better person. Yeah, and, and and sadly, when I when I still like you know when I still visit agencies and I see like you know ex colleagues and stuff, I don't yeah. feel, I feel a lot of them majority are fine are doing their job and they're doing a great job and and more power to you and all the respect. But I feel sometimes you have to you know t- you know spend an extra thirty minutes, spend an extra forty five minutes. And I really want people listening, anyone who also is a manager and has a team, anyone who's a director has a team, and you f- and you know what. Don't just have your team do their job. Have your team go sit with Adobe's team. Have your team go, you know, cha- move their desk to whatever floor or room the train desk sits at and sit down with them once a week. Just do an hour a day, two hours a day. Watch how they do it. Watch how they do line items in, in DV3, in DCM or DV360. Watch how they set up pixels. Watch how they create the, put up the content. Watch as, you know, put the bids. Learn, learn, learn. And I really need, I always tell people this and like, yeah. 
you in front of, like you're listening right now to two guys who worked in agencies now one of us client one of us supplier and we're both saying you still have to do this obviously there's a trend here that you gotta listen to maybe yeah. maybe don't listen to everything we say but listen to this one thing no, we no, say yeah. <laughs> of course of course and listen i'm i'm like i'm the first one who needs to keep doing that as 100%. well i'm not saying you you're gonna keep learning you know you need oh, yeah. to keep your uh, your curiosity up so uh it is important and for managers they like i'm sure they know but like at the end of the day, they're managing the person or they're leading yeah. a person. So their career is a bit related to their career. Oh, Whatever information that his team is learning is going to, first of all, benefit the team. They, because managers, I think, need to be invested in the people as well. Second, and secondly, when they grow, you grow. They're making your business yeah. a better place. So I don't see where, which point is you know, holding back these yeah. managers to push these think, people down. I, I think a lot of time is it's just bad. It's a history of bad practices. Yeah. So a guy comes in, he's like, for example, manager today. Maybe, maybe they, maybe they. This is not how they want to be, but they learned it from their boss at the time when they were yeah. a planner. And, yeah. and it comes like because in reality, in the end, you do a lot of things that you're you learn from people above you, right? You yeah. learn from directors and managers exactly. above, and you follow no the trend. So if you come in at a time when, let's say, digital was still very new and the boss was very traditional, and then t- push you to learn. When you come to a manager or director position, you're more likely to do the same you mirror his action. yeah exactly so i think it it, it uh it's not easy and i under I, i'm completely empathetic to people who uh, who who don't understand that but definitely go do it you're listening to do guys well i always recommend people there's a google academy yeah uh i think it's exceed.lms.something just search google certification whatever it is it's completely free you can get um google fundamentals google search display it even talks about uh, programmatic uh it talks about what's called dv360 um and it's free certifications i do it every year i think mine's about to be up in end of september so I'm probably gonna have to redo yeah. it again why do i redo it even though i've been doing digital for so many years is because things change exactly yeah and one thing i always recommend is learn every day i because i come a bit early to work which i recommend people do come 30 minutes earlier spend 30 minutes and read yeah News. I, I open up four publications. Tell me if you do any of these. Digiday, uh, Adweek, Ad Age, Ad Exchanger. Always religiously every day at eight thirty a.m. Thirty minutes before, technically I'm supposed to start work. I do. I read those. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. Uh, do you read any other publications that you recommend? Uh, I read the publication that's related to automotive as well. Okay, which yeah. one? Uh, Amina Auto. It's okay. a local uh, pu- publication. Okay. I do random searches sometimes because online. you're because you're automotive. Yeah, exactly. So you have to exactly. stay in t- Very interesting. Yeah. So uh, I read Mashable as well. Oh, Mashable's you know? good. Uh, Adweek, I read as well. So uh, there's uh, TechCrunch, which I go yeah, into as well. Cool. I think it's interesting, and uh, just wander around LinkedIn. You always find yeah, a couple always of find interesting someone. stuff. You know. So yeah, it's uh, you feed your mind in the morning and yeah. you just start the day. I actually have a, I've created a new habit actually, okay. uh, listening to ebooks on the way to on the way to work. Okay, audiobooks. Audio use books. Audible. So, sorry, audiobooks. Audible? Audible. Exactly. I love Audible. Uh, yeah, so I'm listening uh, to a book now around influence, the art of influence. It's a, okay. It's, it's interesting. Who's it by? Uh, I forgot the author. Okay, yeah. I'll check it out. So, um, so. Because, uh, like personally, and to be very honest, I struggled in reading at the beginning yeah. because. I'm the type of person who's very like active and yeah, stuff, yeah. so I, I cannot just sit and read. I get like uh, too. Uh, so uh, you, get, some, you get bored, don't you? Yeah, I understand. Audio books. I think it's solving. Uh, it's solving that. 100%. I like to read magazines. I like to read articles. This I have, and I have, and I've written a couple of articles previously, and um, but reading was always my like uh, no, weak enough. point. But I think I found the solution. Yeah, man. Audio books yeah. have really. Like, even though I love to read, you can see all the books yeah, here. Yeah, I love I'm reading, asleep. but at the same time, also audiobook. Yeah. Because sometimes I realize there's some books like I'd like to read, and for me, it doesn't become boring because it takes a lot of selection. Mm-hmm. And then some books I realize if I 
read it, I don't think I'll commit. But an audiobook will solve that. Yeah, for me. exactly. And uh, as long as you're getting the info in, whether you're yeah. reading, you're listening, you're watching documentaries, you're reading yeah. articles, just get it in. Hundred percent. So right now I'm, I'm listening to an audiobook of uh, it's by Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist. Okay. And it's astrophysics for people in a hurry, which is oh, super interesting. Wow. Okay. It's a three hour and forty five minutes. So it's very quick. And it's just so. It's just for me because I I'm fascinated by by space and stuff. And he and and he he narrates it. He narrates it himself, and he's he has a super cool voice. Yeah. That's why I do it. I also listen to audiobooks while I work. That's how I am sometimes because yeah. I just I'm a person where I like to, I like to just have something in the background, and yeah. I like to engage one part of my brain while I'm doing the sound because I feel that. I have no idea if this is, I need to speak to psychologists, but I feel when you do things that you always do, it activates one part of the brain where the other one's dormant. That's yeah. what I've been reading. So there's another part of the brain that could be active. So I try to activate that as well. Uh, by the way, I'm making this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a psychologist out there listening and you think Please I'm completely don't wrong. Don't hold this against us. <laughs> yeah, don't hold it against us and then come on the podcast. Yeah. Let's have it. I, know, right. I personally listen to music while it works. All right, so. cool. Yeah. Fair enough. Sometimes it really depends on what I'm doing, I realize. Sometimes I want, like if I'm answering emails, I'll listen to music because it, it, it makes me not bored. Yeah. Answering emails sometimes is really boring, <laughs> and then sometimes and then I'm, I'm doing like a presentation. I'd like to act, and then I'd like to listen to, to a podcast. Okay, cool. So then you um you basically start offline and you start getting into a digital, and then now you became a very you got into a hybrid role. Yeah. So you're doing both at the same time, and then you transition to publisher side. Yeah. How's the transition transition been so far, and why did you make the transition? Okay, so first of all, um, as you said, I was uh, my role was a hybrid role in the in the agency. I started to feel that my personal learning curve was mm. starting to plateau and I knew that if I don't do my shift now into purely digital, yeah, I might start to lag within, yeah, the, within the industry. Okay. So my primary uh, reason why I shifted into the publisher side and the digital publisher side to be specific is the digital role and the digital knowledge that I want to get. Mm -hmm. And as, as I get the experience agency, to the vendor side as well yeah and f until now it's been around a year mm. wow it's been a year actually yeah so um i've seen this change within myself yeah. as a person as a media in terms marketing. of knowledge yeah on digital yeah. like the stuff that i used to have a couple of questions around or not very sure that i'm very like you know robust and i comfortably i'm co very comf comfortable with these now and Leading on an industry which which is very interesting, uh, interesting. Sorry, the automotive industry yeah. made it even more interesting to learn on yeah. these digital uh, elements within the market. Were you always yeah. into automotive? Was that, like you always into cars? Actually, no, because the brands okay. that I worked on are uh, one was a beverage uh, uh, okay. brand, and the other one was uh, you know consumer goods. How about on a personal point of view? Were you always into cars? Not too much. Okay, fine. But Fair I'm enough. starting to get into it. Fair enough. I'm actually interested how cars, like the marketing of cars, more mm. than the car itself, because I think as an industry, it's very interesting. It's very competitive, and how cars are trying to grab this market share and grab this yeah. uh, share of voice for, let's say, when it comes to the consumer, this is what's interesting. Very like, interesting. It's, it's not a boring industry to work no, in. It's agree. a very dynamic, yeah. diverse industry. I realize when you, when you, for example, when you work on CPG and FMCG goods, yeah. it's so different when you work on things like real estate and automotive. Those yeah, two, yeah. Real estate and automotive are very interesting to market, I think. And because it's, because I think the data, the, 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 the richness of data, the, the flow of data, the customer journeys are a lot more intricate yeah. where you have more room to really like play around and learn more. You're right. Yeah, when when you talk uh, like FMCG and all these brands, yeah. I see marketing as it's like the public sales. You know, so yeah, yeah. basically, you just want to get this word out yeah. to everyone out there. 
Okay, yeah. of course, we're targeting cabin, a digital, yeah, exactly. yeah, but like everyone wants to drink, uh, you know, a soda. Or yeah, anyone yeah. wants to use shampoo, you yeah, know, yeah. so it's, uh, it's, this is how it's different when it comes to real estate, yeah, automotive 100%. and all that. Well, I, what I like about those industries where you can, you can actually work because they control the sales funnel, right? Yeah. An, an automotive company, a real estate company, for example, controls the sales funnel. For example, Cadbury does not, does not control Carrefour, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Carrefour does the sales, Cadbury just puts the Surprise. name out there, you know, we're here. But it doesn't have much control. And I've always wondered, when you worked on uh, FMCG, CPG goods, did you, do you know that, for example, let's say I'm, let's say I'm Cadbury and I put my, my chocolate bar in, in Carrefour. Does, Cad, does get, Cadbury get, I'm sure it gets like its monthly sales, right? Does it, yeah. does, it, does it get daily? I don't think it goes, does it get that intricate? To the agency? Uh, to No, to the client themselves. I'm sure they have a sort of, a sort of way that they track their sales. Yeah, okay, but more, I think they, they, they look at the monthly sales more or less. Okay, uh, interesting. Yeah, and I think they focus a lot also on like... Um, shelf uh shelf marketing and things kind of like that's that's the focus yeah right? yeah and the, the such companies as well through at least with where i used to work we used to try and attribute the sales to what media we used to do how difficult that is that it's it's a tricky process it's something called an econometric modeling or okay. the marketing mix modeling okay, and, and so i don't like every agency calls it in a way yeah, yeah. so basically what they try to do is they try to mirror the sales with any media activity mm -hmm. and they start let's say uh, excluding and and including different media channels or mediums so okay. for example i have my sales figures for one year okay and i and then i put my flowchart for example for tv and i i'd see if there are any correspondent uh, mm. or any spikes that are very okay. relevant between up sales up tv plan okay, then i fine. remove tv i include digital and i put them all together so these these are uh, modeling exercises where research companies try to identify or showcase a certain ROI yeah. or a trend it, between media activity yeah. and sales. But it's like more of a trend analysis, right? More than an yeah, actual number of sales. No, no. Because it's so hard to do. No, especially when with consumer goods. Uh, yeah. Very mass. Now, what they try to do, and this is where it's different when it comes to yes. automotive and real estate and where all clients come and tell you, I want leads, I want leads, I want leads, yeah. I want leads, you know? 100%. And there's so much into the leads discussion, which I think it's still premature, you know? So mm -hmm. the way we look at leads, the way we look at what we're actually getting from a lead campaign or the data that we're getting from the publisher and all that, this needs to be further discussed with clients and and the knowledge should be more widespread when it comes to that because there 100%. are many things you need to take into consideration when you talk yeah. about a lead, you know? So... I'm an offline planner and I know for a fact and uh, and I, I'm sure many people have this idea as well that there are many factors that contribute to a lead. A lead is not about oh, clicking yeah. to a banner and filling a form, for example. Your outdoor can, can also attribute to a lead. Your radio spot can attribute to a lead, you know. So this is a discussion I'm constantly having with my, with my partners and clients and trying to create this sort of thinking on how do we look at leads and how do we really make use of it and how do we really activate it yeah but i think uh, i completely look i think everything attributes and everything's a touch point but the only problem is with offline it's just hard to actually know i know that's that's literally the only, I, I, un unless there's like a way we could put a listening cookie which, <laughs> <laughs> which no no i know i know happen. but uh, it's uh, again it's it's all about the the attribution model the client works and yeah. some people work only th uh, strictly through click through yeah. some people uh, co have a consideration when it comes to you know uh, other platforms leading you know or view through yeah. so it's it just it's just based on what the client wants and what the client is benchmarking you against but what we try to do or i try to do is 
to look at to look at it on a, in a rationally. So okay, guys. Mm. So yes, click through is important, but for example, X website is actually pushing you and pushing your mind yeah. to go and click on the ad you see on the other website. So you know it's it's a, it's a three it's, sorry it's a three sixty approach. Mm. So uh, this is my personal opinion, and I've talked to talked about that with clients but yeah. again you have some uh, you know boundaries when it comes to global clients and how they very wanna, true yeah let's let's get straight into it because i do want to talk about leads because i previously i don't know if you heard episode i think episode four yeah. i had ozzy on who also works uh publisher side and yeah. we were also talking about leads yeah and we were talking about well this this is something that's so interesting i want to see your input on this yeah is when i used to be an agency i thought leads was the end goal because, for example, sale, yeah. no, not even the sale, the lead, the lead form. Oh, okay. So let's let's take let's take automotive, right? Yeah. I worked on many different when I was agency. Now clients, I worked on I worked on a lot of automotive, okay. right? And when I used to be in agencies, right, we would get a brief saying, "Listen, I need eight hundred leads yeah. this month, and we want to hit this CPL, right, cost per lead." And I used to do my job. I would put together the plan. I'd figure out what channels would do that. I would talk to that programmatic team. All right, guys, we're gonna do this, this, this will get us this many leads at this CPL. Add it all together, cool. I'm hitting 801 leads. All oh, fantastic. Give me one more lead than I should. This is the CPL. Yeah. Now, when I was agency, and I realized because my knowledge wasn't there yet, or I just, I don't know, maybe I was lazy to learn, is that I thought that was the end goal. That was the end goal. Done. I gave my lead. I did my job. Yeah. Now I went to client side. <laughs> it's a different story. And I realized, I know you know what? Yeah. The lead is nothing. The lead is 30% of the journey, <laughs> exactly. if that, right? And it's so, it's such, it's, for me, I'm realizing that when we look at leads, it kind of becomes a shallow metric. Exactly. Why is it a shallow metric? Because there's a whole thing that happens after leads. All right, someone fills in a lead, then my CRM team has to call, right? The CRM team has to then realize it's, it's a good lead, bad lead. All right, cool. If it's a good lead, then they pass it on to the sales team. And then there's another layer of interaction. Now the sales team has to call. Yeah. All right, cool. It's a good lead and bad lead. And then there's so many layers of quality check. And then you realize the leads you start out with are not the leads you end up with. Yeah. So you lose quality. So then I realized, you know what, maybe leads is not the right metric. Maybe we start looking at things like quality leads. Exactly. And I started using a metric and I only found out yesterday from Stacey Fisher, shout out, that uh, I may, I thought I made up this metric and I really was happy. I was really proud of it. It turns out I didn't make no, it up. No, I use it as well. <laughs> CPQL. Yeah. CPQL. I thought I made it up. I thought I was a trendsetter. It turns out not. It's fine. <laughs> Reality, life just bursts through bubbles sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I've been, I was trying to use CPQL. Yeah. And... And that's then, I think, that, but the thing is as well, if you're going to do that, then you need to share data back to your suppliers, share data back to your agency. And that's something we try to do. Have you seen, okay, now that you're a publisher side, yeah. and obviously you have agencies that run up to be like, I need this many leads at this CPL. Yeah. Do you see also that maybe, are you think agencies are way too focused on just generating that and not thinking post that while you supplier, which is so funny is that because if you generate bad quality leads, you get punished, not I the know, agency. I know, I know. You are liable. Because because that's what happens. I'll be like, oh, the bad quality is coming from this supplier. And maybe it's not the supplier's fault. Maybe the supplier fault exactly what the agency told it. You the, asked me for a lead. I got you a lead. Yeah. So now at least like my role and where we work at, you know, we focus a lot on the quality lead aspect of any leads. However, uh, when it comes to the supplier side, it's uh, at the end of the day, my, my client is the agency. Okay. So the agency mm. comes and tells me I need the leads. And the thing is, and this is where sometimes I suffer is... They don't see the value sometimes when we talk about quality leads and when you try to explain why your cost per lead is higher than the normal or higher mm. than the lead that you had on social or X or Y or Z, it's because the, the different quality, if you want to call it quality control yeah. aspects of how we get 
the actual lead and how we come back to you with these people that have a higher higher percentage of actually converting to actual sales and mm. i've had this case study very recently with one of my clients as well with which where we saw a very high percentage of conversion now yes the aspect of quality lead is very important and like you were saying and like you took the words out of my mouth yeah. is it doesn't stop at the lead and what you no, attribute to a lead is as well is is very different so i've tried it once that i've actually filled the form but i didn't ha- and didn't hear any call mm. another another of uh, another person my colleagues actually got a lead he got a call he went to the showroom and the guy there had no idea no no he had but he told him listen buy this car instead of this it's basically the same one but more expensive so you know <laughs> it actually <laughs> happened and my colleague actually told the the client side that was like you know uh, involved around that and the client went crazy so mm. it really doesn't stop at filling the form no so at the end of the day my decision is not going to be made by filling a form for a 200,000 dirham car or yeah. a million dollar apartment you know it takes so much from the client side and from the CRM 100%. team and the sales team to call back yeah. and follow up there's and many players at the same, yeah. yeah and it's at the same time it's the duty of the supplier and the agency to make sure that the data and the information that they're presenting to the client and yeah. to the CRM team is actually quality people 100%. no uh, with with uh, no ambiguity because if your source is wrong uh, this mm. is where you go wrong and 100% So the data, the data and the information yeah. element of that is is the core of right, everything. Cool. Let, let's 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 take a look at this. Okay, let's say I'm an agency. I send you a brief as a supplier. Be like, listen, I need this many leads at this much CPL. Now what? Now obviously, because you care. Yeah. I hope everyone does, but you specifically <laughs> care that you want to give the best qualities because you know for a fact if you don't give good quality leads, it's going to come back to you. What 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 actions do you take with you and your team internally to try to generate a quality lead? What can you do? First of all, it's it starts on uh, the p- publishers that you represent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, luckily, I'm I'm within a company which re- represents very decent publishers uh, on an A level uh, A level. So. When you have a very robust and a publisher that is a partner which shares the data with you, which you have access to their data, you have access to their analytics, their information, their audience, this this is a good base and it's actually a robust base to start with. So you're talking to people that go to a certain number or mm-hmm. certain quality of websites. Second thing is how you leverage your data yeah so uh, as as a, as a vendor we've we have a dmp which combines all this audience within all these publishers okay, and awesome. we've worked okay. on uh, segmenting these people through different audiences within our did DMP. you go for the you guys at the blue guy crocs yeah. okay cool uh Oracle. okay yeah so um uh, so yeah so basically then you layer down the the audience and we need to not just use the audience for the targeting purposes you need to come out and and say what you're learning within this yeah. experience of of getting a lead so how i go and let's say and sell to my client or present to my client is yes i'm coming here to give you a lead solution however you need to see the value above the lead do you see you need to you see the value in the research i'm going to give you with mm-hmm. whatever i'm giving you as a cpl or the data and the information the audience uh, unfolding that i'm doing t- for you that will leverage you in future campaigns or leverage leverage you within your audience pool that mm-hmm. you're trying to build for a specific car brand or a nameplate so this all feeds back to each other it's i think it's a cycle you know mm. and and you you know more than me as well when it comes to the auto industry is that you have a specific cycle people don't yes. go buy cars every day no they don't so i need to know where hussam is within his cycle 100%. and talk to him exactly 
uh, on that basis. And this is what, what I mean when I when I talked about the lead is not the main thing that you need to look at, especially for automotive mm. and real estate. So if I know that you're in the middle of your cycle, you know, and uh, you're starting to consider cars, you need to know that X car has been active since one two years i've seen i am seeing this brand through the mm. content that they're doing through their always on strategy through what value they give me as a digital uh, consumer so there there are many aspects you need to look at and so. where you fall within the cycle and where yeah. you fall within this funnel yeah. until getting an actual lead so basically ba- so and all you guys your best attempt then must be within your audience segmentation yes so how do you segment it between like because, for example, you how many how many automotive like network how many like automotive sites do you have within the network? Websites we have uh, three. All right, but cool. These are pure automotive. Pure automotive. But we don't leverage these only. No, you leverage audience across your entire yeah, network, exactly. which is in what tens of websites, right? Exactly. Like 20, 30 yeah, plus yeah, something. Yeah, like that. Over, okay. Yeah. So, so you do a combination of both, right? You look at the pure automotive ones, and you yeah. also look at the entire network of as course, well. Yeah. And you what do you segment? For example, as per behavior of the person, like in market, someone who's actually yes. seen. Okay. Do you go into contextual as well? Yes, Matt, it's a mix. It's a mix between contextual and audience layers. That's okay. why we, we integrate. I usually try and integrate different uh, okay. formats, different approaches, native versus display versus okay. video, etc. Okay. You know, do you guys effect. always put a viewability metric or is it uh, per the agency when it, viewability? Like, do you guys always try to give the prime position in terms of the banner position, all that? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Matt, at, at, at the end, it all depends on the okay. optimization. And we, at the end of the day, yes, we want to op- optimize to better viewability. And we do put that as well. And, and what, do you use, has, what do you use for viewability? I'm not sure. Okay, fine. Cool. I, I think... Uh, I, I know for a fact you guys use Moat. Moat. For brand yeah, safety. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Cool, cool, cool. It slipped cool. out of my head. But yeah, yeah. Moat is uh, like, uh, for sure, it's integrated within everything so, we do because we want okay. this transparency. So do you incorporate brands. the cost of Moat into the CPM? You get, uh, into the, so Yeah, it's not a separate cost. Okay, it's all incorporated yeah, within yeah, that. Yeah, C- yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. fine. It's Very not a separate thing. And... So yeah, so to go back to the actual lead uh, point I want to make is, yes, especially in the industries when you go and you, you're trying to sell plus $100,000 products <laughs> like cars. Yeah. And, uh, people and marketers just look at a macro view, not only on the micro view. Mm. So yes, I can sell you cars and I can fill leads, but I, there's a certain level where you're going to plateau. So when yes. you plateau or when you, you know, uh, you reach your audience and... There's nothing else you can do. Do you stop spending or do you stop stop talking to these people? And this is, as, as a marketer, this is where I mean as well as how to attribute the lead. So you need to start mm. building the story at the beginning. And I'm, I'm a firm, a huge believer in storytelling and in content production okay. and in content storytelling for brands because this is what keeps the consumer involved. The consumer has reached a time right now where they are, more mature so they know when the brand is trying to sell them oh yeah stuff. definitely they know when the, the brand is genuine about how they're talking yeah they know that when brands are trying to use a very cliche or trendy uh, topic to try and generate mm. sales off the consumer so consumers now are not how they were no, no they're 20 so 30 different. years ago they're knowledgeable they seek the information so it's also important as a brand to be there when the consumer is asking for you. So yeah. if I'm going to an X automotive website because I want to buy a car and I know the process of research I need to do to buy a car, 
you need to be there so mm. I, I actually today morning i was reading an article uh, of one of the uh, auto website conducted a study where 67% of people actually go to automotive websites and search so they're not only relying on the ads that you're sharing no. yes the ads will put you in the consideration set mm-hmm. within them but they know the process they know what they want to do to go yeah. and actually purchase a product and this is where you need to be contextually or from an audience basis. No, 100%, I completely agree with you. One, one thing actually I'm wondering, because you guys basically, uh, you'll do maybe a run of different sites, right? Following the audience yeah. around, right? So, but in the end, you guys do, you guys give to agency like an attribution of like, hey, you know what? This this lead that you guys got came from four different sites with the last coming, do you actually like give those kind of studies? Do agencies even ask? Uh, no, the thing is what we give the agency is uh, we try and not we try we've actually based on a couple of case studies we've done that is over and above from where the lead is going because at the end of the day when you're optimizing you're going to optimize within the audience or the website that's giving you more efficiency so of sure. course you will have visibility on that sure but the more interesting thing is you start profiling this audience to the agency okay so Let's say X car, we've noticed that the people who are engaging and interacting with you as as a marketeer or Mm. as a client is a person who is a millennial interested in technology because we've seen this behavior within our website. Mm. And when you when you're a company that has a very diverse where like portfolio. you know yeah a portfolio of websites from sports to music to uh, to automotive and all that, so you, you can start building a 360 profile of this person mm-hmm. that goes way beyond automotive. And you, and, you, and you basically give that to the agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they ask or you guys kind no, of no, just decide to do it? No, no, it's within our value proposition. Oh, okay, of, awesome. It's not only about the lead, it's about the information and the data you get beyond the lead. And this okay. is what we try to push as marketeers in this agency. Yeah. Have you ever had a case, for example, where a client goes to his agency and an agency comes to you and says, you know what, even though you guys gave us 100 leads, 60 were bad, for example? Not until now, you know. Okay, it, fine, uh, uh, not case. until now, but you know, it's it, this, it's bound to happen. You yeah. know, clients would sometimes be skeptical about that. Uh, it's a bit as well how the lead is defined and lead is you yeah. know acted upon. You yeah. know, so but now until now I haven't heard that in specific. Okay, I've been leading on auto for a year, so yeah. I'm sure I'm about to experience. Yeah, but so, sometimes you might get it and it's not justified. Sometimes it's justified. So we just have to figure out where it goes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yes. I guess all all you can do is just I think from a publisher side is try to give the best quality, and in the end it's it's, it's uh, out of your control really because then it goes CRM and it goes sales. It depends on how they treat it, right? Yeah, yeah, of course course and and this is also where i feel that uh, the relationship between vendor and client as well is very important 100%. so what i try to do with my agency partners is i always push to have a joint meeting with the client okay cool because i know as an i used to be an agency and you're a client and you can confirm that that once at certain aspects it's not on a day-to-day mm. base but at certain aspects when you're going and investing half a million or a million dollars into something you'd feel more at ease and more secure when you actually talk to this vendor and mm. when you have a man-to-man conversation with him, have the questions on the table with the agency there. So, and as a vendor, I would I would go and tell the agency, yes, I'm gonna do my job and I promise you that. However, you have to make sure that like we work together and actually converting this from a lead to an actual sale when 100%. it comes to the CRM or the sales team. So 100%. Have you got a client yet that may, has passed on, for example, so what I try to do now with client and I, I really hope other clients who hear us do that 
is I try to actually pass to the agency per website the actual post lead in, in, engagement ever happened. Like, for example, all right, let's imagine Facebook gave me a thousand leads. All right, out of those thousands, this how many were called, this how many were reached, this how many were good quality. And I try to bring it back to the agency so they understand. Have you gotten a client who basically was able to bring that through the agency no, back to you? Not yet. That's very sad. Yeah. Don't, won't that help you so much? Of course. If, it gives you a base. This is, uh, yeah, it gives you a base and the information you get from these people. Mm. Then you go and start creating your lookalikes. You start creating uh, different approaches, 100%. leveraging the information you're getting from these th these people. Now, what we try to do internally is maybe not to this level, but through audience learning, we yeah. try to do the same. You know, yeah, yeah. so we learn this audience, you create a similar audience, you target the similar mm. ones. You know, there are many aspects when it comes to that. Uh, if a client allows you to tag his site or not, is another aspect mm. on how you leverage the data that he mm. has. You know, and. You, you know more than me as well that not all automotive clients allow you to tag most their of. size. Most of. Yeah. You, you put the pixel which you can track your 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 uh, the, the data and the information you get from your side only, yeah. which doesn't like really make it or break yeah. it. But yeah. One thing clients can do, which is uh, something I've been exploring is fine. I understand you don't want to tag websites. I understand you're scared of something. Okay, yeah. cool. What you can do is, which a lot of clients are not, since a lot of clients are acquiring um dmps and especially I, I think a lot are acquiring blue kai yeah because yeah. oracle is doing an amazing job because they're amazing salesmen they'll yeah. sell you everything <laughs> so one thing one thing that uh, i realize clients can do in case you have blue kai because you have blue kai you yeah. can for example build a taxonomy in blue kai of coming from that supplier and then you pass the audience back to the supplier because within the audience you can do impression and click so at least they'll see on that level but yeah. on the website yeah Right, or you can try to maybe build an event of the audience coming from that supplier. At least you can then pass the audience back to that supplier. So at least you know what? Fine, you're not giving them access to your whole website. You're just giving them access to that taxonomy of your audience that's coming from him. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that could be a, a workaround. Maybe you should maybe if you can speak if you know any clients who have, for example, Blue Kai, uh, have a chat with them. Listen, be like, listen, understand you don't want to tag, but if you have your team build a taxonomy of all the traffic coming from our site with events for example people that come from this site and fill in the form that could be a separate taxonomy yeah. and it basically tracks it all does is count yeah it's yeah a no, no, fair enough and it will add value but what i mean what i meant when talking about tagging a site is it's I, the audience behavior right? yes yeah. i just i don't want to know like the people only coming from one, mm. my websites I, I already have this information this knowledge I want to explore the people on the website, mirror them to the people mm. on my publisher so I can expand your audience further. You know what I mean? 100%. So th that's what I mean. And I do understand why clients sometimes are reluctant on tagging the sites and with all the rules and regulation when it comes to data and information and all. But but it, it does help. And when you talk about independent publishers versus social giants, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this would add value versus the mm. other so social giants and... Yeah, yeah. So it's it's it, it's the whole story of, of no, information. I, I totally understand, and I I really hope clients can be more visible because it's, it's also a big chunk that's with the client. Like yeah, in terms of, of accountability, of course. You want better quality? Hey, why don't you share the quality reports with your agency and who can share with suppliers? That's yeah. what I try to do. Yeah. And I realize, honestly, the quality has significantly increased because now, because a lot of times an agency or supplier, basically, they'll do their job. They'll generate the lead. If they don't know what the hell is going on after that, how are they supposed to be able to exactly. do a better job? Exactly. But if you if you let them know, all right, cool. Hey, did you know that Google, even though it's generating the highest volume or Publisher X is generating the highest volume, but 90% of them are bad? Hey, maybe we shouldn't put so much money there. Exactly. While, yeah, sorry. No, no, please. Exactly. Or like, for example, uh, supplier at Y, for example, maybe it's generating a smaller volume. 
but the quality is significantly better. Yeah. You know, how about you move budget and put on supplier Y? And then you can even get more granular. You can start going audiences per supplier, which I think is where we should go next. You know, audience A on supplier Y was bad, but audience B on supplier Y was good in terms of quality. Put more money there because supplier from their side, and you can confirm is you guys will basically try to put the right budget because you guys do a network, right? Yeah. You'll put the budget where you see the most leads. Of course. But 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 you can also but you can take it to the next level if a client tells you. You know what, even though you're generating the most leads from this specific part of your network, there's another part that generates higher quality, then you'll know to put more money there. And that's a learning for you. Exactly. But you need the data to come back to you. Exactly. You know? But again, it, it goes back to what the client wants, you know. So sometimes the agency tells me, I just want leads. Yeah. I don't care. No, but that's you, the agency's you problem. Yeah. Or um, sometimes the client is under the pressure of management that I need leads. That's true too. Now, what happens inside the doors of the client side, that I don't know, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, sure. But and this is where we push back like okay guys but but the quality lead is, is as mm. important as the number of leads yeah. you at the end of the day you want leads which have a high percentage of con converting to a sale yeah so what how come you're taking that from this perspective 100%. and this is where the challenge is and this is where you have your back and forth and they talk to you about no your cpl is too high get it lower and all that there is value yeah. beyond this have CPL. you tried actually going to maybe going to an agency or with a client or a client with an agency yeah. and tell them listen can you let me know the quality out of all the leads have they actually gone back to you or not or is, no I no i i had i, had I know some you've been feedback. asking but you actually got no i had the fear but this was very recent that okay very recent. Uh, there was a specific lead campaign which we do through also third party partners mm. over over and above what we do within our publishers and oh, how do you do that and all that we stopped the campaign. We ran it for a week, for example. Mm -hmm. We found out the agency called me and told me, it's not me who's talking, mm -hmm. that, by the way, through the campaign we did, we actually sold four cars. Okay. It's like, thank you. So, you know, so like, I understand this mistrust that yeah. sometimes occurs within agencies and clients, but it is still a new market. I think it's yeah. as much as the leads and optimization to leads and lead gen and all that is important and, and is popular i still think it's it's premature and people need to test and yes. and if we think that we've mastered that we no still didn't no we're very region. far away we're very this far is away where clients have to invest and test with different yeah. publishers i'm not talking about where i work it's with yeah. everywhere and uh, take this risk yeah you know i want i want you to try something for me and then we'll talk about it if it works is yeah. next time you have a you have a campaign yeah make sure try to get your agency to give you back the quality and the sale and then actually give to them a cost per quality lead and a cost per sale model and be like, listen, even though your CPL might have looked high, look at your CPQL and your sales. Yeah, yeah. And let me know what they say. I'm very curious. I'm, now, I'm, I'm actually running a huge campaign. Okay. It's, uh, it's, actually, very, it's, it's actually a very interesting campaign. Yeah. And I'm looking to learn a lot from yeah. when it comes to the product that we have and whatever is happening on the client side and mm -hmm. how it actually converted. So... Yeah, uh, I'll keep you posted yeah, on please, that. Yeah, <laughs> please do. Because I realize a lot of times the agency will be like, it's going to be leads. Yeah. And a lot of times... I'm telling we, you, I face that yeah. a lot. And the problem is either either the agency person doesn't understand or or maybe the client doesn't help him understand, but there's something wrong there. At the same, There's so many things that have to be... I was talking this with yesterday with Stacey is that, is that a lot of times there's so many you know, people in like agents to this, this, this problem that we all have to fix it together. For example, the client, I understand like coming from clients, I understand that marketing departments have tons of pressure yeah. when it comes to actually to, to, from their bosses. Be like, Hey, Hey man, how can we don't have, how come we don't have a thousand leads this month? You know, and it, you get that pressure internally mm -hmm. as a brand manager, for example, or yeah. a product marketing manager. And then you pass that 
thing down to the agency. So I think it's the agency, the client, the supplier. We all have to just sit down and be like, all right, cool. Let's agree that give me this much CPL or this many leads is not the real goal here. Let's all agree together yeah. that we want sales or let's all agree together that we want quality leads and let's work on that. And let's accept because if you gener- if you drop CPQL, so it's cheaper to get a quality lead and it's cheaper to get a cost per sale. Most of the time you'll see your cost per lead will go up. Yeah. Because, because, of course, it, because exactly you're getting more niche, you're getting less number of leads. Yes. Technically, your number of leads will grow up. And I think this is still a problem most automotive clients, most agencies are not yet willing to exactly. accept. Yes. And that's the real problem. And because when you talk to a planner, for example, then you talk to a buyer, they come from different backgrounds. The planner wants the efficient part of the plan or wants to make it efficient the buyer wants to make it cost effective to the to the client because he knows at a certain level he's going to be reviewed or he's going to be like uh, you know discussed with when it comes to how much saving is doing to the client you know so all uh, the different parties come from the very different perspectives so as a vendor i'm looking at quality as an agency i'm looking at efficiency but at the and effectiveness at the same time i want it to be relevant and cost effective from the client i want as much as leads as possible to tell my management listen as a marketer i got you the leads your sales team didn't call them that's not my problem i did my job so yeah different it's, agendas it's different, so many different yeah agendas. and this and, is know. why you fall we fall into the same trap yeah. more and more exactly and, more. and then you can also get internally with a client you'll have for example sales who come to market and be like listen i need leads because my salespeople have to call people exactly. or crm will come to market and be like hey i need leads yeah. you're like guys listen i think we just have to all together agree volume of leads is not the right way forward definitely not. because i realized something even if you generate a million leads you're actually going to be able to you know get quality a smaller subset of that and then you're actually able to get people to walk into a showroom a smaller subset of that and you're actually gonna get a test drive out of a smaller subset of that exactly and the sale is even smaller so in reality your sale is working on a tiny subset of the actual beginning number of leads of course so in reality your salespeople are only converting a tiny percentage out of the actual number of leads that actually come out there which is sad once you what if what if you can actually increase the number of conversions they do because you know just by dropping volume you actually can incre- increase your conversion rate yeah so yeah, yeah i think i think that's something we just need to sit down as an industry and i'll be like all right guys 100%. let's just pull all industry of fit people in one big conference room be like listen guys can we just all agree we so can solve this once and for all <laughs> because just to yeah. make the work easier yeah now that you're you told me you're getting more into automotive and stuff how are you seeing what, what what do you think the the future now obviously there's a lot of trends in automotive now yeah. you have electric cars coming in tesla Hybrid, yeah. tesla you have ride sharing and stuff what do you think as from a what do you think is going to what do you think is going to be the future especially in like our region so obviously the, the outside region is a bit faster than us yeah, so i definitely. think in our region <laughs> okay so i don't I, actually it's very it's very 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 interesting and this is what made me more interested in automotive is how the trend is shifting and mm. how if you want to say automotive is being perceived starting to be perceived as a service mm, more than a product exactly mm. transportation not automotive in specific but and i think it's a lot of work to be done from a brand side to the consumers mm. and education so for example in the uae they are one of the first uh, adopters and supportive of electrical vehicles mm. you know all the all the like push they're giving when it comes to the electrical bat- uh, chargers that are being placed in the malls and all that so the automotive industry is changing a lot it's it's going from regular automotive vehicles to, uh, they went to hybrid like you said then into electric people are starting to get into it now sometimes i'm a bit skeptical about why they're getting into it i for example in the likes of tesla that you were talking about 
So I've asked many people this question and it's very interesting like to hear. I asked them, why did you order your Uber and Tesla? It's yeah. like, yeah, I just wanted to try it. It's a nice experience, you know? So I, I, I'm, I'm feeling at the, at the beginning now, at least, not to, not to be very generic and yeah. to be fair, it's also sort of a, a trend. Like, yeah, I have an electrical vehicle. Not thinking, why do you have this electrical vehicle? Now we know that, okay, it's better for the environment, it's more cost-effective and all that. And how consumers are actually accepting this is slowly going. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all about the, the, the government as mm-hmm. well and the consumer. So first of all, if you don't have a, any government support and infrastructure that supports the evolution of automotive, this will be very challenging. Mm-hmm. If the consumer doesn't trust this evolution of automotive, whether it's being electric, whether it's ride-sharing app going mm-hmm. into a car, a car with people that you don't know, or um, the ride-sharing aspect of, for example, with the likes of Udrive, yeah, etc., yeah. where you can share a car and you find it on the app. And so there are a couple of challenges, a couple of norms that you need to break as a country and as a brand in order to penetrate this market and talk to these consumers in a very different way. Mm. It is going in the right way. I think the region here in the GCC and the UAE is always a pioneer when it comes to that and the amount of support that they give towards new initiatives and high-tech solutions in any industry to talk and in automotive in specific, it is going on the right way. I've actually I've watched uh, attended sorry a, a conference at the beginning of the year about the automotive industry. Which one? Uh, I forgot the yeah, name. It yeah. was at the beginning of the year. Yeah. It was in uh, Address Hotel in okay. Dubai uh, Dubai uh, Mall. So the uh, the panelists were very interesting. The presentations that were happening is how how it's. The base of the change is the consumer more than the product because the technology is there. Actually, yeah, that's true. How much would this consumer actually trust a vehicle to push start, put the navigation, laid back, and just sleep that's until so you, you know, and make yeah. sure that you know the the vehicle is operating in a safe way and the right sure. way, going the right direction? Um, an interesting statistic is that Norway, for example, is the highest percentage of. Uh, uh, EV vehicle sales right now. Why? Because the government supports it, the infrastructure yeah. is helping, and the education of the consumer. Mm. And I think this is a huge content play where all brands should start hopping on. Yeah. But, and they need to see because, for example, there's a, there, there's a car, I'm not going to say any names yeah. now, but they're launching their EV by uh, around the end of the year or yeah. next year. And the stand is starting to develop more and more and more. And it's, 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 it's and it's extremely interesting. I don't think that fuel injected cars will like uh, disappear. I think yeah. it's going to become like a, a niche, like yeah, a hobby a niche thing. or a hobby thing, you know, to have your Lambo, you know. Yeah, because just, just, just like, like just like the old dragsters are a thing of like collectors. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but this is like long, like yeah. down the line. But yeah, yeah, it is moving towards this way, and it's very interesting to see how the consumers are reacting to mm. this change. You know, so like you see a lot of tes- Teslas right now. You see a lot yeah, of brands. Lot. You see a lot of brands collaborating with different brands to create new technology yeah. vehicles you know I've, I'm, I'm reading a lot about that so uh it's becoming more flexible uh brand x and brand y are collaborating to make use of the different uh, yeah. uh, information so, and the different expertise that they have in order to create yeah, different vehicles so one one thing um, i've been seeing lately is now uh subscription models for cars like basically you can you know you you let's say i don't know 
you go to whatever car and be like, and they'll basically give you, you know, instead of buying the car, yeah. you do a subscription where you'll get the car, for example, seven days a week, but if on weekends you want to change to like the off-road model, you can just do that. Are yeah. you seeing from a publisher start, are they, are they start, I've yet to see many advertising about it. I know it's Not, there on the website yeah. and stuff. Have, from a publisher start, have you had a brand yet advertise that those kind of things they're doing or not yet? Uh, not yet, honestly. Okay. But it's pretty interesting though. I don't know they're why. They're not even advertising the leasing aspect of it. Yeah, I don't yet. know why though. Do you think they're trying to still capitalize as much as possible on the sales before they're forced to move into these models? But it's there, but there's not like, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. The thing is, I know for a fact that leasing is very popular in the States. It's and, huge. Uh, yeah. It's everything. But here, I don't know. Maybe I think it's it's beyond that and beyond the consumer. You, you, you need to look at it from a client perspective as well. Mm. So... Is it worth like advertising leasing? Maybe there's no interest in the market. This is the first thing. Mm. Second thing is from a sales and figures perspective, does it work with the market and how the market deals when it comes to buying a car? Yeah. So if I'm talking to a person who buys a car every two years, maybe it's better to sell him the car and sell him another car yeah. versus leasing a car which he, he could, you know, decide to buy in five years. And, you know, maybe mm. you're giving him more options not to buy more. Yeah. I think there are many things to look at beyond the consumer side of it yeah but so i i've seen a lot of uh, uh brands starting to do this leasing stuff uh, yeah. leasing uh opportunities or leasing uh options to to clients i actually have a friend who's leasing his car right okay. now but it's a, at a much higher premium but he tells you yeah but i don't i can switch it whenever i want you know yeah and I, know that, I know that Porsche is doing a subscription model. I want to say so that, get like, yeah. Let's say, for example, and Audi, I think if you're rich enough to, to afford it, uh, <laughs> I'm not, or not even close to it. Basically, <laughs> most of us are not. And, Until uh, now. <laughs> so far. So basically, you can start by example. Let's say you got, I don't know, you got like a 911. Yeah. You, you want to drive it Sunday to Thursday. And then on the weekend, you want to like go long distances. You can switch it to like a, what's it called? The, the off-road, what's it called? The bigger one? Uh, the Cayenne the Cayenne for yeah. example and you can do it with a subscription and supposedly they'll drop it off and pick it up for you and take care of everything yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's at a premium but I think it uh, I think also Audi I think Audi, Audi Mercedes, Mercedes are doing that yeah. Mercedes which is pretty interesting for example you can drive your E-Class during the day and then you can switch to the G-Class on the weekends or, or whatever right it's more convenient they're giving flexibility to the consumer because yeah. they know like the lifestyle we live in right now yeah. it's very different than it was 50 years ago oh, very. Like, you need different stuff for different things for yeah. different times of the day you know and and i think what automotive brands are trying to do is trying to be as flexible as the consumer yeah. is you know so and and also as flexible as how the consumer changes his taste within this journey you know so for this year i like sedans yeah right ne next year I'm, i get into the four wheel you know so i, I have this flexibility yeah, and once i sell true. this option of flexibility this is what the clients are trying to yeah. uh, do pretty interesting and i don't know if it i don't think it's hit here yet but right now in the states even subscription in general not just on automotive on everything is right now for example you can subscribe to uh, like for example i know there's this one for example that sells like toothbrushes and toothpaste you can do a subscription where oh, every yeah. month they'll send you the cartridges and you just and it's a lot cheaper than paying one time or for example there's one that sends you like facial products right and i've seen of, them on shark tank a lot of yeah and, and <laughs> right now they're really big right now and for and a lot of people follow because it's easier for example instead of me always having to order ad hoc on a monthly basis and yeah. it's cheaper They'll just send me and it'll come straight to my door. I don't have to do anything and I'll get my toothpaste refilled. I'll get my toothbrushes. I'll get my facial products. I'll get my shampoos, shaving products. Everything right now is becoming all subscription. I wonder what's going to hear because I think it'll be very, very interesting. Yeah, it, it is very popular because it's, you know, it's convenient. Like, you know, you want this, you don't want this product. So it starts coming in very, yeah. 
And this uh, this is also relevant to the big data conversation when you yeah. go to Amazon when they know when your stuff 100%. is being done and it's being ordered automatically. This is put it in extremely extremely yeah. simple terms, you know. So convenience is key for consumers, yeah. and this is what auto and non-auto yeah. all brands are trying to bring to the table. Yeah. And this is where t- they try and show value within the yeah. consumer's face. So what? How is it convenient to you? Yeah. Because Consumers now are, if you want to call them lazy, you want to call them, they want things to be done in a fast pace. Or yeah, a, fast and convenient where I don't have to leave my couch. Because you are in couch. a fast-paced life as yeah. well. So professionally, you, you barely have time to scratch yeah. your head, you know. Yeah. So Very true. if you have a, a company or a brand that actually can get you what you want in an easy way and can be very smart in detecting when you want that and giving it to you regularly, I would pay a premium for that, honestly. Yeah, because it sure. takes uh, some... And a lot of times these subscription models are even cheaper than the one-time payments, yeah, which is yeah. really interesting. What, what I find interesting is, and I'd love to get your view on this, is right now because everyone's doing like, I don't know, everything's doing connectivity, internet, IoT, everyone's trying yeah. to find connectivity of within cars and automotive. And a lot of these cars have great value. Right? A lot of them have, for example... You know detectors that put you in the lane, so no, yeah, you'll lane never leave the lane. Yeah, lane yeah. And then, for example, the smart cruise control and all yep. these great ones. But again, I don't see them advertised. They're not trying to push it, and I don't. They I, are starting. Are you, okay, so you're seeing that. So I have one of my brands that his his core objective is to talk about the technology oh, that's very cool. features. That's very and cool. Again, convenience. You know, yeah. so being seen as a tech savvy brand has value right now with consumers. Mm. You know, because they don't. Consumers don't want any, you know, traditional product. No, or no, they no, want to no, be no, new. No. They want to be exposed to new stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, these tech, uh, these tech attributes from any for any vehicle is a sign of what's coming next okay, cool. as well. You know, when it comes okay. to autonomous and all so that. I'm, so I'm glad to hear that you have, there's at least one out there who's yeah. trying to push it. Because I haven't <laughs> seen one, yeah. so that's that's really good. That's good to hear. Cool, man. Uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, I know you write articles and stuff. Are you, are you doing anything recently? Are you no, the to? last article I wrote uh, actually was about the digitization in the okay. media industry. So I was still in the agency side. Okay, it fine. was a year ago. But I, this is an article I was very passionate to write about because it talked about the, uh, the there was a topic about digitization and how people uh, are working more efficiently right now. Mm. And I tried to look from a macro view on how being on an agency side by that time how would these agencies work smarter with clients and how can they work in a way that is more efficient more effective and make sure that most of the efforts of these managers and the planners are being put at the right place so yeah i talk about that i talk about uh like very macro ideas that i've i've perceived or i've thought about on how things can change and Within this article, I've also discussed on how as much as automated we can become in a media agency, how the human element is very essential because creativity is subjective. You Mm. cannot create a robot to be creative for you, you know, the consultancy part of it. The critical thinking part of mm. it you know so uh, this is the re- this is a recent thing that i've written about anything and- anything upcoming because i think now with your experience on publisher side automotive i think you have some good content. yeah i was actually talking to the marketing <laughs> department and my company okay. uh, on thursday talking about articles okay. and like i'd like to definitely start working on that Please so- if you do you're gonna what put it up on linkedin for yeah sure. yeah definitely all right, cool. so you, guys, i uh, have my articles on linkedin all right cool guys so check them out uh tony sarkis you can find him on linkedin yeah um and if you got anything business related you can hit him up as well check out his articles if you just want to have a chat with him please do it's really interesting to see his evolution any anything else or does that cover everything no it's a pl- it was a pleasure awesome i know it was really awesome having you here i love Thanks, always man. hearing uh, someone else's perspective 
Um, as always, guys, I'm Digital Hoos. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter with that handle. On LinkedIn, I'm Hassan Al-Hajj. If you guys want to hit me up, if you want to be on the podcast, hit me up. If you have an idea, a question, hey, you disagree, don't like my voice, let me know. <laughs> Try to see if I can change that. But uh, basically, that's it, guys. And please subscribe. Send me feedback. I'm loving the feedback so far. Uh, subscribes are going really well from what I could see. Um, and I'm getting lots of listens, which is great. Again, shout out to everyone who just, who just you know, listens, give me this feedback. I really appreciate it. You can subscribe anywhere now. We're now officially on Angami. I'll be putting Ooh. a proper <laughs> post on that. So really happy with that. I uh, just want to fix the logo a bit. But once I do, we'll make sure to share it. And as always, guys, thanks for everything. And this is Let's Take This Online. And we're out.